Well, this is Mark Wollner welcoming you to another episode of the Indiana Bond Bank Bondcast. And we have our Leaders in Public Finance series, which we're excited to continue today. And I am super excited for episode 12 here with Hardy Shaw. Hardy will share her roundabout journey to public finance and a little bit about having difficult conversations or real conversations in difficult times. Most recently, you probably know Hardy as the deputy CFO of the Indianapolis Public Transportation Corporation, which you know as Indigo. And I think we'll have some uh, big changes to announce here uh, as we jump in. But highlights from Hardy, she leads or has led the long-range planning, forecasting, and management administration of Indigo's $600 million operating budget and capital improvement program. She has received the Distinguished Budgeting Distinguished Budget Presentation Award from the Government Finance Officers Association is very prestigious uh, for four consecutive years, and she was selected on a budget review panel as a reviewer for the Distinguished Budget Presentation Awards Program by that same GFOA organization. Hardy, it's so good to see you. Great to be here, Mark. Yeah, thank you for thank you for saying yes, and it's it's great to continue our relationship over this podcast and share a lot of your insight um, and a lot of things I've learned from you and share with a broader audience. So thank you for for saying yes. Absolutely. Couldn't be excited more. Well, good. You'll say that now. We'll see how you feel at the end, right? My answer will be the same, Mark. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> You're too polite. But let's so let's start from instead of starting at the beginning of your career, let's start right now where you're at because you have made a momentous decision to leave Indigo after seven years. So congratulations. Um I think we've got a ton of listeners who are in the same professional boat of um you know, it's very successful, enjoying what they do, but maybe looking to make that next step. Can you share a little bit about your journey to make make that decision, what your process was, and and it, yeah, tell us about tell us about this big step for you. Absolutely, Mark. Um, it certainly was not an easy decision. Um, I think I contemplated a lot because it's hard to live an organization uh, where you grew a lot, uh, you achieved successes along the way, all because of your great team and the talented people that I work, get to work with. So I was very happy and proud for what I have achieved and what Indigo has, uh, has achieved all these years. I mean, um, I, when I joined Indigo in 2015, uh, where we had about $66 million operating budget and about, I think, um, $80 million uh, or even less than that capital budget. So we started um, uh, at that journey. At that time, uh, everything was kind of like on our growth momentum since then. So we just were constructing our Julia M. Carson Transit Center um, on Delaware Street in yeah. East Washington, so that was one of our biggest investments in the facilities back then. And now that is being used as the transit hub for downtown corridor. Um, since then, uh, we got 0.25% dedicated transit income tax approved through the referendum. And that was one of the bigger achievements that Indigo ever had um, uh, in, in its history. And soon we were working on the back end side about, you know, what that could number, what that number could look like for us, uh, for Indigo, and how those could be applied on different projects, transit projects, because it has to be on the transit dedicated projects. Mm. So we were working, trying to understand all the things that came along with uh, the referendum, our growth plan with the red line BRT, which is our bus rapid transit. And we had few um, rapid transit lines at that time in the pipeline as well. So 
We implemented in 2019 or launched Redline Bus Rapid Transit, um, which was about $100 million project. So that was one of my, um, uh, you know, one of the biggest federal project that Indigo ever undertook in its history as well. So during this time, I envisioned us from on the budgeting side, you know, we had to do something different. We are not about $66 million operating budget anymore. We had to have a growth in our um, operating expenses significantly, which includes hiring more drivers and mechanics and, you know, all the administrative um, positions that come along with it to support this growth. So we, um, I actually had some experience in the budgeting. So we uh, as a team, uh, move from the traditional budgeting where you ask departments input what your budget is going to look like. And um, from there, we implemented the zero-based budgeting, which is like, you know, definitely it was a new concept for everyone. And we are like, you know, we got to do this together. We are here to help you along the way and we can go from there. So that was one of our biggest achievements on the financial side of it, where we are trying to figure out what the service level could look like based on the estimated transit tax number that we could receive. So wow. we had put a lot of work together coming up with the conservative estimates, coming up with the middle of the line approach and coming up with the most optimistic numbers and what those numbers could translate into our budgets. So that was a lot of work, but it kind of like helped me look out for the vision for Indigo from the financial standpoint as we work on the five-year and 10-year financial planning. So I think... In short, I think long story short, I guess um, there, there were a lot of development, not only on the operational side of it, but on the financial side of it that we were going through. And this is uh, this is kind of like a baby that I put together from the beginning all the way here. Um, so it, it's very close to my heart. And uh, as far as uh, some achievements concerned uh, doing Indigo, I mean, we always thought and I encourage my team to think outside the box. You know, sometimes you just want to make sure that, you know, you just don't do the business you have always done. That's one of my yeah. things. When in when I inherit uh, something from someone, I'm like, okay, this is great start, but how am I going to make the most use out of it and in the most efficient manner? So always trying to make sure that there is something that has my touch on it and that makes my and uh, other people's life lives easier going forward. So we actually did apply for competitive grants and one of the bigger one was 50 million 51 million dollar competitive grant that we got in 2022 early 2022 to support our transit operation at 100% federal share which was usually at 80 20 or 50 50 or 60 40 wow. share so this was one of the biggest operating award that we got in hindigo's history so um you know, everything I've achieved and I thought that, you know, I am ready for something new, I guess, and, you know, take upon new challenges and opportunities. So having said that, when this new opportunity came to me with an exciting roles and responsibilities that I couldn't say no to, and I knew that this is exactly what I needed in my career uh, next. So I would tell listeners is to do what you love um, and do what challenges you, you know, don't be under the status quo. Don't be afraid upon taking new challenges in your current organization or in your new job because you never know that you can convert those challenges into opportunities and growth. And at times it gives you a multidimensional approach to your job. Sometimes, you know, it's very easy to get stuck into the status quo and, you know, be comfortable where you are. Uh, but there is no harm in aspiring and dreaming and your dreams may come true. That's amazing. I've jotted down even just in this 
first bit. I mean, just, and I think we, I'd love to get to all of this, just how you've added your personal touch or challenge yourself as you look at everything. How might we do it better? How might we take where we started and like you said, bring some, some hearty to it, not just do what we've always done and the zero-based budgeting. There's a whole story in there, I'm sure about people management as much as the numbers, but I don't want to lose like your roundabout journey to public finance that we teased at the beginning. So you're, you've had this awesome career trajectory and it's springboarded you onto your next, uh, you know, your next accomplishment. Well, let's go back to the very beginning. You started your career, um, really in the state as a budget analyst, right? For the state of Indiana, our department of workforce development. So you're a former state employee, yeah. go team. Uh, and even prior to that, I think what's fascinating is you had this almost decade long journey in finance and accounting in India. And so like, I'd love to hear just that journey of, you need to have a career and a skill set. How does it translate when you move to the States and then from the state government, uh, gosh, into the transportation sector, going from DWD um, you know, to NDOT? It, it, your journey's fascinating. So please jump in anywhere you, you think makes sense, Artie. Absolutely. And it's crazy too, Mark. I'll tell you, it's not only fa fascinating, it was a crazy ride, <laughs> you know, that I never anticipated that I'll take. But, you know, destiny gets you where you are supposed to be at, right? So go. it's funny that you talked about roundabouts, right? Roundabout journey. My husband designs roundabout for a living and he's pretty good <laughs> at what he does. So when I heard your question, the first thing that came in my mind was the roundabouts. Okay, so talking about my roundabout journey in finance, um, I truly had a roundabout journey, just not the sector-wise from public to private um, or private to public, and then now again back to private. Um, it is from the geographical perspective as well. I traveled 10,000 miles away from the country um, that I was there for 26 years and suddenly wow. decided to change uh, the location and make my uh, new uh, country and new home and we and we did not know how long we were going to stay here to be honest mark it was something that we were taking one step at a time my husband and i and this became our home we just were so welcomed by uh, the community over here and we have been in in indiana since i came here in uh, the U united states since 2007 so before that i mean if i can share my journey in india it was it, it was different. I mean, it was similar in a way that I had my finance and accounting degree back in India. I was working for um, a CPA firm for quite a long time. Um, I was in handling accounting, auditing, taxation services. And wow. I, after I did my chartered accountancy, a couple of years after staying with the CPA firm, I decided to um, join a multinational companies, couple of multinational companies that I work for just to get the corporate expo ex experience ex as well as ex exposure. So we just wanted, uh, I just wanted to see what we, we could do as a team over there. Um, the CPA uh, profile and, um, you know, work is totally different than the corporate uh, culture. So I, I kind of like wanted to experience that. So I worked in the taxation, um, the financial analysis, and I had a great run working there. We implemented um, ERP softwares at that time that had we had a great experience working on that uh, particular project as well. So um, I thought, you know, um, moved after I moved here with my husband to the United States, uh, he was really encouraging me to do my CPA here. So before even I came and put, a, uh, and put a, my foot in the door, 
he had all the CPA books lined up. <laughs> like, hey, here you go. Here you go. He knew that, yeah, he knew that I like to stay busy. I, I would be bored at home and I would be ready to start my career as soon as possible. So he knew me going into it. So I'm like, thanks, Annie. Thanks for keeping me busy, but, you know, making me st study again a little more. But I cannot be appreciative of all the support and love that he got me since then. So I started my CPA and after I passed my CPA exams, which I it was easy for me to pass because I didn't have to go through any courses because of my CPA equivalent degree. Oh, back sure. Yeah. So I just had to do some taxation, take taxation accounting um, exams and stuff. So I did that and. I realized that it was not easy uh, for me to get into uh, my professional journey uh, due to visa issues. I was on my husband's dependent visa and ah. a company needed to sponsor me um, to start my work. And that time, the 2008 stock market crash and people's, people were being laid off. I'm a migrant with no visa whatsoever to work <laughs> in the United States. And I'm like, here you go. Again, uh -huh. it puts you in a different challenge. And I was so ready to get back into the workforce. And there is a hiccup. But again, as I said, every hiccup comes with an opportunity. That's how I see. I'm like, oh, that's my time to pursue my another higher education. I always wanted to do MBA. So I'm like, you know what? Let me crank through my MBA before I kind of like get into my labor market. Um, so I did uh, did my MBA from Butler University uh, with finance major, and it has been one of the best decisions I've ever taken, I guess. And that that you know helped me take my managerial roles wherever I went in United States. You know, my accounting plus management background really helped me to look at the bigger picture. So that was something, as I said, it added another dimension to my credentials um, that helped me along the way wherever I go. So. You know, my kids, my husband and my family back in India, including my in-laws, were super supportive throughout these years. There were, I wouldn't lie that there were not days that I was frustrated to study again and again and again. But every penny of investment that we made in um, studies, I think it was worth it. Wow. It was totally worth it. So, you know, at times you feel like you, you, are, um, you have everything from professional and academic standpoint. But when you enter into a new country, being a migrant, um, it, it's it's not an easy journey to start from. But, you know, I think I, I would just say that, you know, if you need to start from somewhere, you just need to start. You just don't wait for things to come up to you. And, you know, I need X level of role in my career. Yeah, you wish you would get that, but you don't get to X before you pass A, B, C and D. Wow. Just get started. I mean, that's that's very yes. powerful. I think that's sometimes the hardest thing, though, right? We're overwhelmed with everything we need to do or the big things we want to do. And sometimes it's just get started, right? Just do that first thing and then yeah. the journey follows. Wow. Yeah. So you, yeah, go, please. No, go ahead, please. I, I was going to say, you, you, you end up in transportation at the state's largest public transportation system. And Right. Huge, difficult journey to get there. And then, right, a couple of years ago, COVID yeah. hits and we've had just layer on top, more difficulty there and, and teased to the beginning, kind of difficult conversations through difficult times. We're having real conversations. So tell us, like, what was the transportation, public transportation industry like during COVID? Like your whole business model is putting unrelated people in close quarters on, right, in closed 
buses and moving them around. So what was this like? Great question. A lot of things are happening. Um, (laughs) So definitely um, any any business that was operating at the time still, um, just like them, we wanted to protect the health and safety of our transit riders. Um, But at the same time, frontline employees, I mean, it it was not easy because transit was considered or is considered an essential service that you got to keep it open no matter what. So um, just the keeping services on the road was one of the biggest challenge due to the macroeconomic factors that we were going through. One, you got a bus running, but you have um, reduced demand for the services. You don't get as many passengers, right? You still got to keep running declining fare revenues. At that time, federal government had not just pumped the money in the uh, transit agencies yet. So we had to come up with how we are going to put all these investments and money uh, where we have to make sure that the barriers are installed on the buses. Each bus is contract that out and also get the PPEs as soon as possible for everybody that, you know, that was touching our businesses. So, and staff absences. That was one of the biggest challenge. Like, you know, we want to provide service on the road, but if person is calling in sick, we have an extra board of drivers that can pick up that job, but we we have had troubles. Even if I am not sick, I have somebody at home sick. I have to take a that 14 day period, a quarantine Ooh. period. And it was not easy. So again, I think like everybody else, we try to navigate through those challenges. And as um, being in finance, our role in finance was to make sure that we are able to consistently provide funds to procure all those PPEs and services necessary to combat 19, COVID-19. Um, because as you can imagine, some of the procurement rules and some of the um, red tapes that come along with, uh, you know, while operating through the federal and state funding uh, sure. guidelines, you have to make sure that you are uh, complying within the rules and regulations. So, uh, we were in the back office busy applying for the grants, working with our stakeholders, establishing new reports. Um, should the federal funding come anytime, we are we just wanted to make sure that we are ready to draw down the funds as soon as they become available to us without making uh, without you know wasting a minute. So we make sure that we are hundred percent in compliant with our CARES Act regulations. It came up with you can apply this money towards certain expenditures. So our regular reports did not work the way we used to report to our board on the financials. We had to cut certain line items that are not eligible for the federal funds. So we immediately uh-huh. had to work on the back end to get ready. So again, uh, the, these were all great learning experience. And while working remote, that was not uh, something that government agencies had done in the past before. Like we were not set up to go remote 100%. Uh, so that was some something challenging. Not everybody was used to being on nine to five, eight to five Zoom calls and, you know, working through and sharing files and all those stuff. Some people had, had, had challenges with VPNs and stuff like that, but we navigated right. through everything. Wow. Yeah. I love how you frame it as a learning experience. Like it just, clearly your mentality is hit those obstacles, right? One foot in front of the other and take what you can and learn from it. Because yeah, nobody had been through anything like COVID nineteen before, and so yeah. it was this along the time you talked about zero based budgeting and converting the budgeting system, which is its own set of hard conversations from like a financial standpoint. You're having hard conversations during COVID. Is there one example that pops out in your mind, or something of like having to finance is more than just the numbers, right? It's the people behind the numbers. It's the service you provide to customers. It's the buses running. It, example of a challenging conversation during 
this time? Absolutely. So uh, again, when COVID hit, um, it was March, and we actually start our budget process during April timeframe. Oof. It's a calendar year budget, but we start as early as like nine months before. So we actually provide the snapshot of previous year's um, budgets and previous year's actuals when we kick off our budget, inviting all the departments um, at the budget kickoff meeting. Ask, um, uh, you know, answer any questions that they have and all this stuff. So as soon as it hit, we were trying to make sure that we are actually trying our best to meet our demands from the operation side of it, but at the same time getting ready as to what message do we want to give out to our departments um, and then how that is going to translate into the service levels, right? How long this COVID is going to stay with us because we are working um, on the budgets for next year, which is 2021. So we didn't know enough about how much money are we going to get from federal government? How much are we going to spend on all this stuff? So we had to do our best guest estimate working with departments and constantly stay on top of the news that's going to come um, on our way. So, you know, we were working with our um, uh, legislative liaisons and stuff um, that, you know, we just um, wanted to make sure that, you know, we are apprised of anything that could come on our way and be ready for that. So the one of the real conversations, I would say that, you know, people had that perception that transit agencies or even the department sometimes like, you know, we are flush with money. When we started getting awarded with the CARES Act, like, hey, Indigo got that much CARES Act money. <laughs> we did not get it. Just like it did not appear in our bank accounts. Um, we, it, all our federal grants are cost reimbursable basis, meaning we have to put the upfront cost first and then we draw down on eligible expenditures as it becomes available. So that 40, 40 plus million dollars did not appear in our bank account. We had to take X percentage based on the expenditures. So everybody's like, oh, we, we don't have to worry about it. What is Indigo talking about their budgets and cost cutting measures and all that stuff. So not only that a conversation within the departments that you know, the money that you are saying, it's going to be used for the out years. We are not going to right now say yes to every department. Hey, I need this. I need that. And yeah. that is this is not here for short term. The effects of the COVID-19 on the revenue side is going to be there for long term. So we had to constantly educate and train and get into people's mind to think alike, right? Because when you don't think alike within the agency, you can't communicate the same message outside to the stakeholders. So we all had to be on one team in order to make sure that they understood what the budget message was and how that gets communicated out to the stakeholders. And now talking about the stakeholders, again, we have had you know, a lot of challenges on the labor side, supply chain issues. Labor, we wanted to buy a few things, but labor, uh, the supply chain issues were kind of like putting some obstacles on how we do it. And again, the increased operational cost because of the added um, COVID-related you know, protection and the services that we had to procure. So I I wanted to be very transparent with all the leaders and, you know, we wanted to make sure we put out five years to seven years projection and 10 years projection. And if the revenue is going to be estimated at the level that we were estimating for COVID-19 impacts, we had to have tough conversations that after some years, we are going to run out of money. Wow. even though we get this federal money. So how can we prepare ourselves right now or work towards making ourselves in a sound financial position? Um, glad, gladly, um, I had uh, taken upon setting up some policies um, in 2018 and 19, which was related to our capital asset management policy, debt management policy, as well as the fund reserve or cash reserve policy. 
which actually put us in a very good spot, even when the COVID hit, that we had certain reserves in place should something happen and we don't have immediate federal funding or state funding available. So um, I would say that, you know, when we talk about all this tough conversation, you just don't think about how it impacts your team. It impacts the other team members. And you you think about all the stakeholders, union leadership and board. We constantly wear a pricing board like this is what is coming. So they don't hear from other people and they can answer because sometimes board members get questions too. So we had, yeah. Wow. It was, it was interesting. Wow. I mean, and that's in credit to you because those are hard conversations. You have to have a level of credibility, I think, coming in. Like you talked about the policy work you did in 2018, 2019 that sets you up well. I I would also venture to guess like the work you had done just as a a human in the organization, the years leading up to it, put you in a position where when the hard conversations had to come, like the union leadership, for example, might look at you with trust versus, you know, the Grinch who stole Christmas because we thought we got $40 million and we should all be good and things are fine. And have you have any come in and explain? And they don't see you as like management trying to hide the ball or trick them, or it's these are the facts, and you've you've built that level of of trust. So I um yeah, so I don't I don't know if you felt any of that of like having to be the be the bad guy and the challenges sometimes of having to say no or having to be the one to throw cold water on on uh, no, it's funny <laughs> because even before somebody says that. Oh, Hardy is always going to say no. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I know that I'm not the most popular person during budget time. So, you know, rest of the time, I know I'll get along with you, but I know during budget time, we'll have fun, but real <laughs> conversation. So I am not afraid about having honest conversation because I feel like, you know, the more you stay honest with your team, your internal and external stakeholders, that's what is going to make your job or life easier answering questions why you did what you did but rather than having to do explaining at the end hey we did something that is nothing to hide we are making informed decisions based on the data and the information present available at that time so you also better understand what where we are coming from and you know you have a knowledge and it doesn't come as a surprise to you that's that's how i am in my personal and professional life no surprises. And so that, I think that leads really well. I think about public finance as a male dominated profession, transportation, largely male dominated, though you've got a great <clears throat> CEO uh, and a diverse team there. What's, what's your challenge, biggest challenge when you're, whether you're having those conversations, uh, whether you're in the public finance space, uh, you know, if working, working in a male dominated profession. Well, um, I think some of the general challenges for women in male dominated professions are like, you know, lack of a voice, mm. pay gap. Um, that, that is, you know, that has been an issue brought up by women, you know, around the world, not just in United States. So I'm talking about generally sure. women, like what, what is the challenge as a woman uh, working outside the home? And at times, lack of respect or lack of work-life balance. So those are the in general four, but you know what? Fortunately, I have always been be, been fortunate to be working in environments where I was well-respected and I, my voice was heard. You know, it doesn't have to be implemented, but it was heard, right? Like, because, you know, I always feel like if you want your voice to be heard, you have to support your 
analysis or your point of view perspective with the data, how you arrived at it. And then you make your strong point. So that person has kind of like either nothing to argue about and say point well taken <laughs> or counter you with some facts that you presented and you say, oh, this is what my rationale or my assumption or my methodology were. Now you tell me if that methodology or assumptions are inaccurate. I can change those parameters and will give you the new output. But this, regardless, this is what it is. So, and I have worked for some strong and fierce um, female leaders in my previous organizations um, at state uh, with the couple of agencies that I work for and the Indigo where our CEO and many members of the executive team are female. So mm -hmm. uh, not only and not only I'm excited to start my new journey with an organization, which is also, um, also an MBE as well as WBE, which is a women-based enterprise Very forum true. and is led by the CEO who is also a strong, talented and passionate female um, who has crossed all the barriers. So I guess it's just uh, your question was very appropriate at this point in time that, you know, um, I, 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 I'm so proud to have served uh, under female leadership in the past and continue to do that. And I would suggest to all the fellow women in the industry that, you know, it is very important that you also have um, strong mentors in your life, whether it be male or female, because the female uh, mentors may give you a different perspective than sometimes male uh, mentors can give you. I would say that, you know, I, I, I think I always find my tribe where women support each other and not view each other as competitors because you never know that some of these women may turn out to be one of your biggest advocates, supporters, and cheerleaders. And some, some male mentors can be your biggest allies. So I guess I think you just want to make sure that while you are growing, you are growing up the ladder, going up the ladder, you take along your tribe as well. That that will help you go faster and smoother and in, in your different journey. That's beautifully said. Wow. And we're so excited to see, yeah, what what's next as you continue to grow with um that MWBE. So exciting. And you outside the workplace, or I think as part of the professional side of life, you've been involved in the women in public finance. Group and we've had uh, been blessed to have a, a number of um, other members join the podcast before Hardy. I'd love your perspective. I think I ask everyone what why is it so important to join uh, that tribe? To use that word that you use, kind of join that tribe beyond just your organization, but that broader tribe of women in public finance. Um, you know what I mean when I say when you uh, get yourself or you have your tribe um, in public finance or any industry, I would say. You know, in public finance, you see more of like, you know, um, not just you are doing your job eight to five on your desk and doing Excel spreadsheets. Public financing involves much more outside of what you do. That I understood by after I came from Indigo, because not only you are communicating your budgets, what you are putting together, it has a downstream impact on the community that you serve indirectly. So we are staying behind the scenes, but we need to come forward in, in, in on the front line as well at times. So I feel like, you know, um, uh, being in public finance and if you want to grow up the, if you want to grow up personally and professionally, you have to have your support system in place and have your, you know, as I said, mentors are really going to help you where you need to be because at women at times, 
are very stuck between your professional and personal life. Like I have a young family to raise. And in the United States, it's just me, my husband, and my two kids. We don't have a real support system here, wow. even on a personal end. So we, my husband and I try to juggle at times when kids are sick and one is out of town. Who gets to take which kid <laughs> to an extracurricular activity? Right. So that is a personal struggle that we found a balance. You got to do the same thing. Like, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, in your professional journey, you come across certain barriers that you can't be everywhere. But you 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 just make sure that, you know, you can be wherever you need to be uh, if you have that support from your team or your supervisor or um, your organization, because that is what is going to help you see the bigger picture in your life if you want to grow in your career. I love you talking about the bigger picture because I think it's very easy in finance and public finance and in government too, where you're two or three levels removed from maybe your constituents or the outcomes. I work for a conduit financing agency, so we don't do the work. We help locals do the work who then help their their citizens and their taxpayers. It's often the case in state government. You, you have a little benefit of seeing a little more direct impact um, while at Indigo, but I love advice for professionals who feel themselves removed or maybe work for work with team members who say, well, I just write contracts or I just do the budget or I just do the scheduling for the CEO. Like, how do you connect people to the overall mission, vision, impact that your organization's making? So that's, I think, a lot of why we all find ourselves in in this space, right? Because we want to make a difference, but it can feel a little removed or a little far afield sometimes. Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I would say that even though the finance roles may involve behind the scenes work, um, their work is paramount to success. What I say uh, to any finance leader that no work is a small work, right? Your work has the deep impact in the organization, whether you run the payroll, whether you run AP, you just don't realize what your work has an impact to. You may just don't see the direct relationships or consequences of what you do. So of course, um, when people don't recognize them, you always provide them with the tools and a training to see that vision, right? Because I, I always feel that, you know, when you find a purpose of doing something, whether you like, that's that's going to make your job enjoyable. Otherwise, you are just going to come eight to five, do my job, go home, and there is no purpose yeah. in life, right? So go for out-of-the-box ideas. Sometimes finance people are very cut and dry or black and white, but there is no idea, uh, is a, that no idea is a small idea, right? It may sound crazy that sometimes just one crazy idea can get some major reforms or successes in life. And one of the biggest example was our $51 million grant that we got at Indigo. That was far-fetched. We knew that, you know, we are going to come in the second priority bucket if the if we apply for the grant, because all we didn't have a short-term deficit projected. We knew that, you know, and the grant application said all the agencies who apply for the grant are going to have, be given first priority if they can show the short-term deficit. We knew that we didn't have it. And people are like, why are we applying for even this grant? And we just, as a team, we decided like, okay, this is 100% share. There is nothing to lose. We don't have to pitch in a single money. We just have to, we already have the numbers ready. I already had five-year and 10-year forecast ready. We just need to put it together in a format and apply for the grant. And worst case scenario, they are going to say, no, this is going to be a learning experience for us. And we all decided it was a group of four or five people and we just went for it. And when the award notification came out, none of us could believe it. <laughs> it's like, is this what this grant? Oh, okay. Uh, well, 
And it was the biggest surprise that anybody could ever get because we had lost hopes. Not that we did not put a grant together well, but we knew that probably we, might, we are going to get into the second priority bucket. And I think what happened was many agencies thought about the same and might not have gone for it, pursued it. And that opened up opportunity for us, I guess. And we got lucky. Wow. So, I'm so glad you shared that with the about the $51 million grant because I think, you know, in retrospect, it's sitting on the outside. It's like, of course, Indigo, they've got a lot of needs or big organization. Of course, they'll get the $51 million federal grant. But to hear you say it from the inside, I think that's refreshing. Like, we didn't know we would get it. And we plowed ahead anyway, because to your point, what's what's the harm, right? If we if it doesn't work, it's just a little time, a little effort, a little energy. We'll have learned for it, be ready for the next time around. But um, gosh, that's so cool to hear your process. Like, yeah, I think we oftentimes see the successes and of course they seem preordained, but the work that went in and it was, it was certainly not preordained that you're going to get that grant. So thank you for sharing that story. What is next or what project, I guess, now that you're moving to outside Indigo, you're a big project or big future for public transportation in, in Indianapolis or big Indianapolis Indigo project that you're excited to cheer on from the outside. Oh, I'll always be cheering uh, the projects that Indigo does from outside. So everything, especially we are constructing the Purple Line bus rapid transit system. So, uh, and there are some cool micro mobility projects with some not-for-profit organization um, uh, that we are doing. Also, Indianapolis Public Transportation Foundation is also doing some cool projects and receiving grants to do all this uh, not-for-profit work um, or or do all the work with the not-for-profit organization. So, Definitely, this is something um, that Indigo has changed. It's how we do our business, right? It, it's just not providing the fixed route services or paratransit services. It's about how we can make sure that we have um, the first and the last mile connections um, where where the big buses cannot reach. So that was very important right now because the mobility is something that we need to make sure, not just providing um, services from transit uh, that uh, stop A to stop B. So um, there are some cool projects coming. Um, as far as uh, transportation future, I think it's very evolving and exciting because everything that uh, right now going on at the federal level, uh, there are a lot of opportunities for us to grow in the transportation and transit, which was not heavily funded uh, before. So um, I would say for public transportation, give it a try. Um, transit is a great way to reduce the carbon footprint and we want to see more for our kids in future that is available and sustainable. So if there is more support from the federal, state, or local level, as well as private sector, uh, the future of transportation, especially in Indiana, could be at another level. It's just the behavior that, you know, all of us at times are very car-driven instead of transit-driven, and which is, you know, at times makes sense. But again, it just has to change with the way we think for future. You are going to continue to be the advocate for Indigo as we as you move on out outside, yeah. Hardy, aren't you? That's just Absolutely. part of your DNA. Yeah, yeah, you use the words evolving and exciting to describe public transportation. And I would say that describes you and your journey as well. You're evolving. You're moving on to, um, you're bringing exciting things to your next organization. So real quick, what can we expect? Where can we expect to see Hardy Shaw next in the future? I'll be still crunching numbers. Um, <laughs> Uh, 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 wherever I'm going, but I'll be crunching numbers with more meaningful collaborations and communications, right? Like, you know, I always say that numbers are numbers anywhere you go. 
numbers, pick numbers, but again, how you communicate that has an impact, how you interpret and analyze those numbers. It, it has a totally different meaning. Um, so, and I am, as a mom, I'll be enjoying my parenthood uh, while my <laughs> kids are young, um, Rahil and Ashi, 11 and soon to be seven. So, uh, and while my older one who is 11, uh, but he is ready to go out anytime. It seems like from his talk, he's so <laughs> mature. Um, so uh, again, I think just between professional and personal life, I am going to enjoy both. Uh, I'm excited for my new journey with the new organization. And uh, I hope to get more involved um, on a, in the community. I am getting involved, but I, I would like to get more involved time permitting. It's just the time constraint that I'm having at times to be able to do everything. How fantastic. This is so exciting. I feel like we're we're catching you right at this amazing pivot point and I can't wait. I know speak for the bomb bank. We can't wait to see where you go next. And so thank you for taking this time in a very hectic, chaotic, um, big time for you to, to pause and take a few minutes to share your journey with uh, the Indiana Bondcast audience. So thank you so much, Hardy. No, thank you, Mark. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's always been a pleasure talking to you. You are so easy to talk to. And I'm glad I'm able to share my journey uh, with all of you, uh, especially the listeners and fellow women uh, listeners, I guess, because at times it's very difficult to um, step into something that is an unknown territory. So I have been through that. And if I can succeed, anybody can succeed. So I, I was a migrant. I thought it is going to be a piece of cake looking at my credentials and professional experience back in India. I, I, I thought I'm, I'm, I'm doing, gonna do great. But as I said before, if you have to start somewhere, just start somewhere and you can, with your confidence, your hard work and your willingness, you can go up the ladder. And I'm not saying that I'm there, but I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that I'm there professionally, but I'm also there in and they're present in my kids' lives as well. I just don't want to lose that aspect of work-life balance, especially for a female and women audience. You have a future as a motivational speaker, executive coach. I'm ready to run through a brick wall for you. So this is <laughs> this has been really inspiring. And I know I know I've taken a ton away and I'll continue to value our our friendship. And I appreciate the words you've you've said about me. And so listeners, if you'd like to connect with Hardy, I know when we post this, uh, we'll we'll put her LinkedIn profile there. You can follow her, connect with her. Um, again, as you can tell, super generous with her her time and her insight. And um, again, Hardy, thank you so much. And listeners to the Indiana Bondcast, thank you for listening to this episode 12 of our Leaders in Public Finance series. We just continue to get fantastic, um, fantastic talent, fantastic people uh, who share their stories with you. And so if you like what you hear, uh, share it and click subscribe and you can get every episode of the Indiana Bondcast. For now, this is Mark Wallner signing off on behalf of the Indiana Bond Bank team. Take care.